Greetings, everybody. Welcome to a new edition of the Selby is Godcast. He's Zach Meisel. I'm TJ Zuppi. You can find us on Twitter at Zach Meisel, at TJ Zuppi, at Selby is Godcast. Find us on Instagram at Selby is Godcast on there as well. And you can stream this podcast wherever you find them, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or the thousands of other places I'm sure that our podcast appears. What is up, Zach? I'm just really excited about our guest today, Oprah Winfrey, ready to interview <laughs> us about uh, our plans here for the podcast. That's that's interesting. I, I was not I was not on the rundown. I was not prepared. Oh well, no, it's going to be the her biggest event in a long time. <laughs> yeah, where has she been? Has she even appeared on social media in quite some time? That's got to be a nice gig when you're. I mean, obviously she's like as accomplished as anyone on earth, but. Uh, you know, you're just like sitting back, enjoying your life, and then, oh, what do you know, like, royalty wants you to interview them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, imagine accomplishing so much in your life that the people come to you. Mm-hmm. We want you to sit down with us to help us tell our story. That's a testament to how much she means. <laughs> That's only happened to me once. <laughs> it was, I don't want to give too much away in case this person listens or someone adjacent. But it was a couple years ago, and they wanted me to write a story about them, and then they decided at the last minute, never mind, and then they changed their mind again, and then never mind again. And I'm like, like, man, you wanted me to write about you. Like, make up your mind. What are we doing here? (laughs) I mean, you get it occasionally. We've even gotten it on this podcast. I won't share which player but when a player joined the the Indians a couple of years ago we had a request to see if we could talk to them on this oh, podcast yeah. and we never followed through on it just I, I, I don't know it just kind of felt out of place and we're not really an interview sort of show doesn't mean we don't do them or we can't do them it's just I not I, that's not how I envision us that could change we could become something much more. I don't know where this podcast will go. So much de- depends on what our, our listeners and our fans want from us. But it, it was something that just didn't fit at the time, and I never followed up on it. And then the world fell apart, and we, we never went anywhere with that. But it does happen on occasion where people seek us out to tell their story. I just didn't want it to become, hey, I'm pushing all these T-shirts that I'm trying to sell, so that's why I'm here to join your podcast. I didn't want it to, to break down into that, so... Yeah, I just the, the hardest part about writing like a really good feature is finding the feature in the first place. It, it's knowing <laughs> that it exists. And so when you reach the status of, you know, an esteemed journalist or interviewer, it's like, you know, the most difficult part of the equation is done for you. That's yeah, that's got to yeah. be a nice feeling. It's not approaching somebody in the clubhouse and saying, "So, what's the story with you? <laughs> what do I need to know that you're not sharing?" Or it's not thumbing through the media guide to see what Bart Swain has thrown up there as a random fact <laughs> that you maybe maybe you can chase. And occasionally it does lead to a really cool story, but also sometimes you find out that Brandon Geyer eats bugs and you ask him about it and he says, yeah, I eat bugs. And that's the end of the story. <laughs> there's there's no thousand words that you can dive into there. Oh, that's you know, it. that's not true. I wrote a lot of words about that. When I found out he eats crickets, and then I remember going back up to him like every day for a week, 
just saying like anything else weird that you eat have you tried this have you tried this um man brandon geyer who apparently we learned this week likes waking up with a cold shower i saw some people uh didn't like that bit of information they didn't understand how someone could enjoy that well it does wake you up for sure I just can't imagine ever getting any joy out of it. He also has young kids, that. though. Don't don't they do that? <laughs> yeah, I can, I can assure you that that is the case. It's pretty much like getting slapped in the face by a cold shower every single morning. Oh, man. Well, from Brandon Geyer to guys that are currently on the team but not around the team right now, I don't know that they'll be eating bugs anytime soon. But maybe that would be the punishment for Jose Ramirez and Fran Mil Reyes, who are away from the team for the next few days because they broke protocol. Haven't we been here before? Haven't we done this? This is like a, a Mad Libs kind of a document where I can sub in different names, but the story is the same. Well, I mean, I <laughs> so I don't know about you, but I typically get a haircut once every like five weeks, I would say. Um, well, Framio Reyes got a haircut but wasn't wearing a mask. And... I know, like, what are we talking here, 25 to life? Um, no, it's not the greatest crime ever committed. Um, the, the problem with him is he can't help himself but to record videos of everything he does. And he, he has admitted it, that he's on Instagram 24 hours a day. Um, but he recorded a video, selfie video of, of getting the haircut without a mask, and then he and a group of uh, friends including Jose Ramirez, went to dinner indoors, which, again, these are not crimes that are going to land somebody in prison by any means, but... Yeah, these are things that you and I have probably done several times in the last year. Got not true. I have not gotten a haircut in five months. <laughs> well, that's just because your experiences in the haircut chair have gone so poorly over the past uh, year or so. You had to get a new barber, right, if I'm remembering? So, yeah different experiences yeah right the the if you look at it just on the surface you're thinking why are we talking about this he went out to eat with friends and got a haircut i have done that in the last year it's not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things it might not be that big of a deal but they signed up for the rules the rules are in place they have to maintain those set of rules to continue to be able to play they broke the rules they knew what those rules were it's not a surprise it's not as if you were driving through a a 35 zone, and you thought it was 55, and oh, I, I didn't know, officer, I swear. Nope, they clearly knew. So uh, you can say that it's not that big of a deal, but it's still the rules, and they're still in place for a reason. And until we get to a point where you don't have to worry about those sorts of things anymore, that's that's the breaks. Well, the, that's when you pull the, the officer says, I'm going to have to give you a ticket, and you pull the Manny Ramirez and say, no, officer, let me get you tickets. Um, but then after the officer gives you a ticket you pull away and pull a u-turn immediately and get pulled over a second time in a span of five minutes only manny ramirez could do that anyway more on that coming in the athletic uh in the near future um just he just reaches over to the glove box to get the the license and registration and out pops seven paychecks <laughs> a lot more on that coming little tease but the the issue and like i think it's it's tough because, this, like you said, this team has been through this before. And the police act and Clevenger thing escalated into this huge ordeal, uh, mostly because Zach Plesak <laughs> recorded a six-minute Instagram video while driving without a seatbelt on 
in which he just blamed the media, which <laughs> still makes me laugh, for doing, blamed him for doing exactly what he admitted to doing. Anyway, but like, I, I do think there's fatigue here with the protocols. And I know everybody agreed to this. You know, it was a league and players association thing. There was a handbook with like 100 pages that I was sifting through over the weekend trying to find a little sentence that didn't exist. Um, and I get it. Like, these guys don't want to go through another season where you can't leave the team hotel or where you can't even really be around your teammates as much as you normally would. Um, we're all tired of it. Everybody. We're all tired of wearing masks. We're all tired of not seeing friends and family members. We're all tired of not eating inside at a restaurant with a group of people you're close with. Like, I, I think there is understanding there, especially at this point when it's, you know, you're heading into this baseball season that could last seven more months and you don't know when these restrictions are going to be loosened. So I get it to an extent, but again, one, you agree to these protocols, you know that you have to follow them, and two, you don't have to post everything on video. <laughs> it's, they ended up self-reporting because the Indians, someone saw the video of him getting a haircut and him being with a group of friends from his hometown in a park and no one's wearing a mask. And I don't, I don't know if that breaks the rules either, but it just led to questions. And then Fran Mill volunteered that, hey, I did this, I did this. You know, Jose was with me. Pedro Strope from the Cubs was with me. And so it's, it's silly, but it's, these, are the, these are the rules you got to live by until this is over. And it yeah. makes me, you know, I was asking Tito yesterday uh, or over the weekend about, you know, what's going to happen with vaccines? And are these players going to be more motivated to get vaccines so that maybe that means the rules can be relaxed a little bit and they can go live their lives how they normally would during a season? And it's something to monitor here as we move forward. I know Tito and most of the coaching staff got theirs last week. So it'll be interesting to see and what it, happens with players. And it makes much more sense for them because we're talking about an older group of people um, compared to younger players that statistically you would think would be a little bit more prepared from a personal standpoint to fight off any sort of of illness. Now, I think they're, and, and I was laughing about it because <laughs> we're not advocating for doing bad things, but then just not telling anybody about it. <laughs> just want to, legally speaking, say that that's not the official stance of the Soviet Godcast. Uh, well, go out and do bad things, but just don't put it on Instagram. Well, don't do those things either. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, it, it's all about, you, you don't want to cause a, a, a breakout uh, yeah. like you don't want to yeah. be the marlins and the cardinals yeah and it's not so much about you because you're young you're healthy you'll probably be fine but yeah even if it's a tiny 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 risk you know you don't want to you don't want to subject like someone's loved one or their pregnant wife or someone right. like that to, right it's one thing to, to assess your own risk and, and do what you want and i'm hopeful we're all to a point where we can sort of do that but in the uh, the environment of Major League Baseball and what they're trying to do here and just the nature of what that job is. Um, being around people in a clubhouse setting and closed environments, maybe it's a little bit different than someone that's working from home or working in an office where it's spaced out a little bit more. You don't have to have as close of contact. So it's, it, those are all things that, that come into this equation. And whether or not you think they're silly rules or, or, or you agree to them, they're still in place. you got to follow them. Uh, I think there's at least some 
reason to acknowledge degrees of wrong here. This is different than Fronmill a year ago, and it's different than Clevenger and Plesak at the time, in, at least in, in my opinion, because we're the world's in a different place. You know, We're not talking about things in the same way that we were back in, uh, what was it, July, August, that it happened to, to Clevenger and, and Plesak. Uh, you know, there is at least some hope there that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and, and things are a little bit more in control than they were. So I, I think the, the decisions here to, to do this in spring training compared to in a season when you're flying across the country with teammates and there's a teammate that is in the same locker room as you named Carlos Carrasco that is extremely at risk. I think some of the decision making there was, uh, like I said, in the degree of wrong far more in the wrong territory but it's still all wrong just i can look at things with some with some degree of of uh shades of gray here uh but that's that's the case that's what it is so no jose no front mill for the time being luckily neither one of those guys is fighting for the shortstop position although it would be fun to see front mill reyes play shortstop i don't think the pitchers would agree, but just from a personal standpoint, I would pay to see that. I would like to see Fran Reyes play shortstop. It's not going to happen, but the the Indians have no uh, no lack of of suitors there at that position, at least to to be the starting shortstop. And as you laid out this past week, it it goes beyond just the starting position. It's guys that are backups and backups to the backups and people that will be on the radar. On the major league team within the next several years, really every tier you go down, you have guys that are having standout performances this spring. What that's worth as far as performances, well, we talked about that already. There are no consequences in spring training, but guys are performing well, and that's better than the alternative. And it does lead to some interesting decisions when it comes down to Rosario and Menez as to who's going to be the starting shortstop. Well, as I wrote, I said spring training statistics are as valuable as shrewd bucks. And we can yeah, convert shrewd bucks I, to Stanley Nichols if you need another point of reference. I don't know if everybody got that reference, but uh, I loved it. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, and there's a wrinkle here. I mean, I think it's Andres Jimenez against Ahmed Rosario for the starting shortstop job. And I think we all assumed Ahmed Rosario was going to be the guy because you can manipulate Jimenez's service time. He's only 22. He skipped AAA. You need to find out what the hell you have in Rosario, who's 25 is at that breaking point in a career where you, just like everybody else on this roster, it seems, where you either take that next step and prove you're, you're a, an everyday player or you nobody knows what you are. And you bounce around and somehow end up with Oakland and become an all-star. That seems like that's what usually happens. Um, so I, the, the thing is, Andres Jimenez has looked the part. And I know it's been like... A week and change of games. It's, it's, it's none of this really matters yet. But an interesting thing was said. You know, Terry Francona was asked recently, "What are you looking for? What's going to determine who wins this battle?" And the first words out of his mouth were, "Defense. You got to make the routine plays. You Damn have to it. be reliable." Crossing Franmil Reyes off the list <laughs> now. My. And so that, to me, my antenna went up immediately because that's Jimenez is the better defender. And Rosario has enough experience in the majors at that position where we, where we know he's not a good defender at shortstop. The, the thing that makes this more interesting is that the AAA season is going to be delayed. So all the minor leagues now are going to start in May. And you're going to have an alternate in Columbus where guys are just going to play 
daily scrimmages and take batting practice, and there might be an occasional um, exhibition game against another AAA team within driving distance. They're still working through the details on that. But do you want Jimenez twiddling his thumbs and at an alternate site in Columbus for a month? If he's playing well, if he's got some momentum in spring training, and then you're just going to completely rip that away just to find out if Ahmed Rosario can be your something this year. So I, I don't know. that I would. My answer would be I think Jimenez is going to win the shortstop job if I knew what that meant for Rosario. I have no idea. I mean, he has played three innings at any position not named shortstop in his career. So... Do we know if he can play center field? No. Do we know if he can play second base? No. And I mean, he probably could, but also Cesar Hernandez is there. Oscar Mercado's in center. I mean, like there isn't an answer for Ahmed Rosario, and that's why I'm still I'm really perplexed by this. It's it's going to be interesting yeah. to see what they do in the next couple of weeks with Rosario defensively. Not only that, but if he's playing a super sub role where uh, he's not getting every day every day at bats, but just a shade below that where you can still get a guy to the plate 400 times, but they're doing it all over the field. Um, you know, is, is that possible? Sure. We've seen guys do that before in their career. Um, and, and Tito has talked about his love for Ben Zobris and his ability to play a different mm-hmm. position every single day. We see Marwin Gonzalez do that in his career. Um, and there's many more guys that are capable of that. The thing is, with this roster right now, you mentioned Cesar Hernandez. I guess in his career you could say that he's a platoon option, but it's not an obvious one because he's a switch hitter. And last year he did just fine from the right side of the plate. Uh, enough that and you're he not typically gonna... plays every single right. day. And you're not going to take at-bats away from him, you would think, at second base. You're not going to do it at third base. Now maybe you could say Jose Ramirez gets some DH at bats this year, but where does that leave Fran Mil Reyes? Is you finally gonna sure let him so. pick up <laughs> a glove and let him play the outfield? Uh, we haven't seen a commitment to let him do that, despite the fact that they, for the last year, have said that that is in the back of their mind to be a desire. So I don't, it's not an obvious fit anywhere in the infield. Um, maybe, maybe at some point it's at first base. But again, I don't know right now that that's an obvious fit. You have a couple of guys that we're going to talk about that first base competition in a, in a minute. But those are both left-handed hitters. But you also have a guy on your bench that slays left-handed pitching. So that doesn't really make sense. And then as you shift to the outfield, maybe it's in center field. But you did say you have Oscar Mercado. And unless he's falling on his face completely, he's also not an obvious platoon uh, situation sort of guy because he's a right-handed hitter. So are you giving him days off against lefties? No. Are you, where, where are those days off coming from? So it's it's not an obvious fit anywhere on the roster. Um, that's what makes it difficult to decide where, what you're going to do with Rosario because he needs to play. If he's on your team, he needs to be playing because you need to know if he's part of your core or if he's not. The, the, the best situation here might be one that, that just doesn't exist, but because Jimenez has played so well and coming into spring training, you weren't exactly sure whether that was going to come immediately or not, but he does look the part of a starting shortstop. If you needed any more convincing beyond what happened last year with New York, it would be great if some team came calling to the Indians and say, we really need a shortstop. Maybe mm-hmm. that's the Cincinnati Reds, but the Indians are in a position now where they can feel maybe they hold a little bit, little bit more re- leverage in those sorts of talks because they can say, well, we have a starting shortstop now, so we have some depth here, and we don't 
You know, this isn't a situation where we need Rosario to play shortstop because Jimenez is giving us something that makes us question his ability. So I think the best thing for the Indians right now might be a trade, but I don't. you can't just conjure that out of nothing. Somebody's got to actually want Rosario and, on top of that, be willing to pay what would be worth giving up somebody that not too long ago looked like a, a step below a star-level player. No, I totally agree because the other thing is, is you, there isn't an obvious path for him to boost his trade value during the season because we don't, where the hell are you going to play him? Right, unless he's really showing you that he can play every different position while also hitting. That would be something that's valuable, but at that point, if that's happening, the Indians are going to give him up. And, and so then if he also, the other ripple effect is if he occupies a super sub role, which the other thing is, like, I don't know that you're really going to put him in center field very often if it's March, if it's the second week of March and the guy's never played it in his life. So where do those reps come from then? I, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. I don't, I don't know. This was much easier when I could just map out the first two weeks of the season with Rosario at shortstop right. Jimenez in the minor leagues. I, 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 I'm not writing that off completely. I, I still think there's some benefit. Even if you're concerned somewhat about halting whatever momentum you think Jimenez is building in spring training, you're still thinking long-term about control. And because he played every well enough last year with New York to get a full year of service time, you're still thinking about how do I maintain this this kid as long as possible. And if it's a couple weeks done in the minor leagues, on top of getting Rosario the early season at-bats, there's still some benefit there. But I think it's it's a less obvious outcome than I would have arrived at two weeks ago. Are we ever going to learn about Yu Chang? <laughs> yeah, that would be nice too, especially because he's swinging the bat well again, for whatever that's worth. He tore it up in summer camp, and now he's hitting home runs again, like Babe Ruth, in spring training. Yeah, and I don't know if a utility role is going to help his cause because like, I, I guess I think he needs consistent at-bats, but I, it's the same thing. It's like, do you want him to win the utility job? I mean, I think most people would say yes over Mike Freeman, uh, but I don't even know if that's going to happen. But do you want him playing sparingly off the bench? Because, again, a utility job on this team, like Jose Ramirez doesn't need many days off. Cesar Hernandez doesn't need many days off. So maybe once a week at shortstop and yeah. once a week somewhere else. I don't know if that helps Yu Chang's career. I don't know if that helps you learn what he really is. And then the other thing, though, is, you know, is are you just going to send him back to AAA? And are you going to learn much there? We've seen yeah. him at AAA. Yeah, I don't think that's doing anything for his career either. Almost makes it... Should they have signed Cesar Hernandez? <laughs> oh, no, don't come back to this because I feel like I'm the bad guy. Why do I have to, to play that role? But it doesn't make much sense when you have Rosario, you have Chang. I, I mean, it makes sense. This is so confusing to say. It makes sense because Cesar Hernandez is a good ball player and you're trying mm -hmm. to win games. It just doesn't make sense if you're trying to find out about any of the young guys that you have on your roster. They really need a year where they can just do trial and error. And just not care about wins and losses as much. Isn't that what they the simulations this, are for? Yeah, they just have so many guys in this this boat that you're like Daniel Johnson would love to see a play every day, man. But I don't know if it's happening unless someone gets hurt. Yeah, when they signed Eddie Rosario, that 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 ship kind of sailed. At least now that it looks like Naylor's going to be in the outfield and somebody's going to be winning that first base job, that is going to keep Daniel Johnson in the minor leagues. 
Look at that seamless transition. <sighs> That's what they pay us the big bucks for. That first base competition, it, sort of like the shortstop one, has evolved in my mind over the past two weeks. And I tell myself every single spring, don't let short sample sizes and <laughs> big home runs in a situation where they might be facing a double-A pitcher change your mind. But I'd be lying if I didn't say I have a different outlook on that position between Bobby Bradley and, and Jake Bowers than I had a couple of weeks ago. Who Why, are you I mean, where are you at? Just because when Bobby Bradley hits the ball, it goes like to <laughs> Neptune? Well, that helps. I mean, he's got to make I mean, contact, if he was hitting... But... If he was hitting doubles off the wall, would you be as excited? Well, it's still more than the Jake Bowers has done. And, and if you're this saying if you're saying that a spring competition actually exists, that there's something to guys going out and winning a job, then doesn't performance hold some weight, at least when you compare it to the other guy that you're playing against? Yeah, absolutely. So the the only if Jake Bowers had a minor league option, I don't even think this would be a conversation, right? Wouldn't no. everybody be saying, you know what, Bobby Bradley yeah. probably deserves the first look? Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think it's a testament to how well Bobby Bradley has, A, performed, but also, B, taken this you know, training regimen very seriously with the way he came in, transforming himself again for the second time in, what, four years? Where he's well, just it's, it's like more. a different player? In 2018, he basically only ate broccoli and did Orange Theory with his fiance now wife I thank think, god maybe? there's no crickets involved <laughs> um and he lost like 30 pounds and came to camp and like <laughs> was like a toothpick and <laughs> and he lost because that isn't the way he needed to lose the weight and so he lost power and his he was absolutely dreadful the first month of the season in yeah. i think double a or triple a um and so as the season went on he started to gain a little bit of strength back and he was fine but um, that was his worst season of his career so far. So the next year, the next offseason, he put weight back on to make sure he didn't uh, lose that power. And it was, and you know, it, it was just like an it's an annual conversation in the spring. Are the Indians disappointed in Bobby Bradley for gaining weight? Are they pleased with him for losing weight? Are they disappointed in him for losing weight the wrong way? Are they happy with him for losing weight the right way? I mean, every spring this is like the main topic with him. So this offseason. He trained like crazy, but did it in a way that it's, he lost weight but didn't lose muscle. And so he went for a run every morning at 6 a.m. He went to a training facility in Baton Rouge where he worked with, among other people, former major leaguer Ryan Terrio. Um, and so a lot of strength training, a lot of cardio, and not as much broccoli. And so he lost 30 pounds, but we've seen when he's hitting home runs to Scottsdale, uh, the power is still there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You're not losing anything there. Uh, it, it leads me to, because when this happened several years ago, when you hear about a player losing a ton of weight, you're not necessarily sure how it happened. You wonder, is this sustainable? Is this something that's going to continue to happen? Or is this just a one-off season? I was extremely motivated to lose this weight, and you're going to come back to spring uh, the next year, and it's all back. Um, and then it, it was for him. Now, there was a reasoning for it. It's not just, oh, I got lazy. I think there's some sound thinking there, but because this is... Because of the way he he went through it, apparently, it does 
lead me to believe that this is sustainable, that this is a lifestyle that he can now commit to. Because if you're just cutting out sweets and, like, I think of, of Logan Allen saying, I cut out donuts, well, <laughs> that's great <laughs> for an off season, but can you do that your whole life? I don't know. Uh, but when you're committing more to an entire lifestyle and changing how you work out and making it about, you know, strength training too, that's something that seems a little bit more sustainable and real. Am I off base there? No, and it makes you more nimble defensively, whereas he feels like he's more athletic. You know, a few years ago, he might have thought he was more nimble defensively, but he wasn't any quicker on his feet. He wasn't any, you know, you didn't have, probably didn't have the energy that he was accustomed to having just because you know, he was never eating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, broccoli, the broccoli didn't power him through. He did, that wasn't no. enough. Oh, but I, I mean, it is, it is doing something that I say that is is not smart to get too caught up in what happens in spring training. But coming into the spring, would it have been like I don't know what what would you have put the odds there? What percentage would you have put it between those two if you would have said, "Give me the percentage that Bowers wins the job compared to Bradley"? And is it that big of a difference that some spring performances would shift? Is it that big of a shock? that we sit here two weeks from now with Bradley perhaps moving ahead of Bowers at the, and, and seizing hold of that job? So I would put it at 50-50 right now only because of the Bowers option situation. And I, I, I can't get over the fact that they would just totally abandon him, DFA him, and who knows if you'd I be able to pass him through waivers. Agree. After trading, you know, this was... You were really banking on him. You traded Yandy Diaz for him in part... And so to just bail without getting another look, you gave him a, a long look in 2019 and it, it wasn't pretty. And Terry Francona is quick to remind everybody that they've had a lot of stern one-on-one -on -one conversations um, beginning with that year. He was never called up last season, even though this team needed an outfielder, even though, I mean, you weren't going to replace Carlos Santana, but he was struggling too. Um, there were ways you could get Bowers at bats last season. They didn't do it. So it, I find it hard to believe that they would just totally cut ties without ever giving him another look. Right. Are you going to do that based on what happens in spring training? I mean, isn't this right. what we talk about to not get too caught up in that? That's why I'm, I'm like 50-50, but I'm leaning. I'm, I'd still lean Bowers. But, you know, a lot of this is how 50 -50, people... 50-50, but I still get Bowers the edge. Okay, so 51-49. <laughs> it's a weird coin I'm flipping here. Um, it's weighted on the one side. I knew it. <laughs> So it, it, a lot depends on it, – it's, it's how coaches and front office people talk about these yes. players, I think. And well, that, well, there's a degree of this that we just, we just don't know because we see the performance. We see how they talk publicly. But there's, there's some element of decision-making here that happens behind the scenes that we don't necessarily get privy to. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, honestly, like, Again, if Bowers didn't have the option, it's it's a no-brainer to me because he's the one who's made a ton of swing changes and he hasn't, you know, he was up in the majors for most of 2019. 2020, he's just at the alternate site twiddling his thumbs. It's like he actually could benefit from going and seeing AAA pitching for a month or two. Bobby Bradley, it's like see fastball, hit fastball. Yeah. And I think I'm ready to see him for a couple months at the major league level to see what he can do. Yeah. So that would make sense in my mind. But you asked what I thought coming into spring training. I thought it was Bowers for sure. Um, a lot of that because of the option, but also just because he 
it's he's all, again like he is also ready to get that opportunity. Like they need to know what they have in him. Um, but I also thought kind of thought that it might be Naylor at first and Daniel Johnson in right field, and it would yeah. be neither of those guys. So, I don't know. Yeah, well, it just because, let's say Bobby Bradley wins, using air quotes here, wins the first base job, that doesn't mean that they have to, to cut ties with, with Bowers. It would be extremely, well, maybe not extremely, but it is some degree of difficulty here then to decide what is his role, what is he doing. Is he a backup outfielder slash first baseman slash DH? Where does he find those at-bats? And how do you make all that work if you're also trying to find space for a Ben Gamble? Or if Andres Jimenez makes the opening day roster and now Ahmed Rosario is on the bench? Are you carrying Rosario and an, another utility guy? Does that mean both Yu Chang and Mike Freeman are both off the roster? How, how, do, you, how do you find space for... Uh, Jake Bowers if he's not the starting first baseman. But I just am I'm so with you. I don't think unless they are so turned off behind the scenes by changes he has made or has not made or not listening to coaching or how he's responded something below the surface we're not seeing with Bowers. I just can't see them making it a, a, a long-term determination like letting him go. Mm-hmm based on what happens in spring training. It just doesn't seem right to me. And, and in fairness to him, it's not right to, to Bowers to put the, all of that on just what happens in spring. And this is a shorter spring already compared to what you typically would have. So this is it's a dif- difficult spot for him to be in to just say, hey, go win the job, and if you don't, you're out of a job. Who would you predict? If both guys had 600 plate appearances in 2021... Mm. Who do you think would have the better season? Ooh, at the plate. I think we both agree Bowers is superior defensively, so let's just yeah. limit this to at the plate. Yeah, uh, th- that's 100% true. And You and I have talked about, through text, <laughs> my desire to see when you have a good defensive first baseman over there, what that does for the rest of the infield. Not to say Santana was ever bad, but I think Bowers ex- is extremely nimble around first base and maybe can even save some throws. That's something that in Tampa, a lot of the infielders talked about, that they had just a supreme confidence when they fired that ball over there that he was going to come up with it no matter where they placed it. Yeah, that's a good question. I think if you looked simply at counting numbers, the things that we cared about in 1995, it would obviously be Bobby Bradley. Because even if he hit 210, I think he has the capability to hit 25 bombs mm-hmm. and drive in 70 runs even hitting in the, the seventh spot in this lineup. And if you just said those things and you said, well, that you're going to get 25 bombs and 70 to 80 RBI out of the guy that's hitting in the seventh spot in your lineup, I think you would say, hell yeah, sign me up for that. But as we've learned, run creation is about also getting on base and just being a steady performer. Um, so there are more than one ways to push runs across the plate. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I'm, I feel saying Bobby Bradley is just being a prisoner of the moment. Because I think Bowers, while I don't think anything he does is truly spectacular, I, I think he's close enough where average is attainable, but I don't know if that's the case for, for Bradley. It's like, uh, do you want more boom or do you want more steady? Because I think you get probably more peaks and valleys with Bradley than you do with Bowers. 
Yeah, and it would not shock me if by the end of the season it was Naylor at first and Daniel Johnson and Jordan Luplo and right. So I think that's that's where I'm at. Like I, I haven't seen those are your only options in the outfield by the end of the year. Nolan Jones, good point. Mm, yeah, I mean they have too many, too many guys that we don't know about. <laughs> like, and we don't. Man. We just assume that Jones is going to pick up the outfielder glove and be just fine out there. What if he's not? What if he has to go play first base? Well, I, I think he's got all the tools to be a really good first baseman too. Yeah. Um, and it, this it, is it seems like the arm would be wasted over there at first base, but we just assume because, oh, well, he's a third baseman. He should be able to go play corner outfield. You would think so. And there's a lot of guys that can and have done that. Doesn't mean that Nolan Jones will. Right. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I, I just, it's so hard. Like Bobby Bradley, anytime he makes contact, the ball goes 600 feet. It's like, <laughs> It's such every single home run yeah. is just majestic, and you fall in love with that. Yeah, I think it's easy to. Can I say that I think the overall run production between the two would be similar if they got 600 at-bats, but for no other reason than just the fun of watching some majestic bombs that I think <laughs> the, Bradley, the Bradley run creation would be more fun? I mean, there's something to... And there's been studies about you know whether you want a guy that's really streaky or whether you want a guy that's super steady. Mm-hmm. And I think if no matter how you twist the numbers, you can probably come up with something to benefit either case. But if you're talking about a guy that's in the bottom of the lineup, do I want somebody that is just kind of steadily performing along or somebody that it might not happen all the time, but when he connects, I got a, a chance that it might be a really big three-run home run. You know, am I, am I risking yeah. all of the other at-bats that – and this is just my oh – God, I, I don't know. Maybe he comes up here and he's just fine. But I'm just trying to think of removing names here and just thinking about profiles. That boomer bust at the bottom of the lineup, you're just taking a chance that one of those home runs is going to be really meaningful. It's kind of like uh, Roberto Perez, where he was at a couple of years ago, where it's at the bottom of the lineup – you're not moving those home runs up because overall he's still somewhere around an average hitter. But how many of those home runs can be a game changer? Mm-hmm. That's his favorite term, too. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's an interesting point. I, I like I'm thinking like if Bobby Bradley hits, you know, 25 home runs, but they're all in huge situations. That's a super valuable player, right? If he hits 25 home runs, right, but they're all solo home runs when you're down 9-2, to two, <laughs> right. then I'd right. rather have Bowers. Yeah, I don't... I mean, that's just pointing out these hypotheticals that won't happen in real life. But I think there's there's something to that. I want more of a steady performer at the top of the lineup, but at the bottom of the lineup, maybe a guy that uh, could boom or bust every once in a mm-hmm. while. And you're taking that risk-reward. I don't know. I, I think it's really just a, a preference thing. And I, I I think you have to also take into account what the rest of your lineup looks like. If you have a lot of boomer bust, maybe you want somebody that's just kind of plotting along, doing what he what he does every single day. And maybe that's giving too much credit to Jake Bowers. I mean, he can certainly get hot and cold too. But uh, just the overall conversation about how you, you want to have a, a perfect lineup or a lineup that complements each other. I think that's a... Well, Jake Bowers has a better chance of hitting for the cycle. (laughs) Yes, this is true. Because he's already done it. You know, that's how that works. Something that's already happened is is proof that it could happen again. But it's an interesting point where you think 
these hypical situations where if they all these home runs come in a in a in a sample where you just really need them, you end up uh, really enjoying that outcome compared to you know when you're just hitting up there with nobody on base and it's not necessarily a game-changing hit. But can you do that in baseball? Can you just send somebody up there in hypothetical situations? No. But can we talk about hypothetical situations <laughs> like Fangraphs did this week? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I sent you this. Uh, this article that Fangraphs did and, and Kevin Goldstein wrote, and the, the title of the article is, is Can RBIs Matter? Now, the first thing you have to do is argue whether or not it's RBI or RBIs. Is it RBI or RBIs? <laughs> this is the greater debate, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I think it's RBI because it's runs batted in. But I've worked for three different outlets in my career, and... I think I went from RBIs to RBI to RBIs. Maybe stop. I well, think I, everyone's had a different opinion. Okay, so everyone will say runs batted in. So why do you need to say RBIs, right? RBI. But what if you're just saying a single RBI, like a run batted in? And then I'm now putting the S on the end of run batted in. I'm not saying runs batted in. Yeah. It just you're you're making an assumption about how I'm using RBI. And if RBI is a singular metric, then why wouldn't you put an S? We say ERAs. I could be saying earned run averages, and that is into the ERA that I've shortened. Is that not true? I don't have enough. <laughs> I don't have passion for this topic. I don't know. <laughs> okay, that's not I just really, wish. That's I the... just wish we could have a universal decision. <laughs> no, this is what's fun. This is why baseball is suffering right is now. Is batting around nine players or ten players? It's nine. You've batted Agreed. all the way around. Agreed. Why was that? That was like a hot debate in the press box that one year. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, I think because Chris Ossenheimer said it, we had to go to 10, and we disagreed. You've batted all the way around. Whether or not that last guy gets gets up to the plate again is irrelevant. You batted all the way around. If I make a circle, do I continue on when I reach <laughs> the end of the circle and say, no, the circle is only complete once I reach a little bit past the end? No, you go all the way to the end. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. Anyhow, that that was not the <laughs> that was not what the the article was about uh, because that debate has has happened. What the hold on, I'm drawing circles right now. <laughs> uh, that's usually just when I try to make a point. All right, so the the gist of and I urge you to read it because it can go much more in depth and it's a funner, much more fun conversation than I can just point out uh, very quickly. But the thought of this is, can you? Can you make RBI matter? RBIs. Can you make our runs batted in? Can you make them matter? And it was a hypothetical that if you think about it at the end of the year, uh, if you have a guy that, or let's say you have two guys, you have somebody that, that when they came up, every single time they hit with somebody on base, they had a hit. Every single time. And then you have somebody that just does what they normally do. You know, whether, I don't know, Mike Trout, whatever. And they just build their normal value. They hit with runners in scoring position. They hit some when, when there's nobody on base. They just do what they do. But the guy that always gets a hit, that hits 1,000 when somebody's on base, never gets a hit when nobody's on base. So when there's nobody up, it's an automatic out. But when there is somebody on base, particularly in run, with a runner in scoring position, that guy is coming through 1,000, 100% of the time. That guy at the end of the year is probably going to have, what, 250 RBI? <laughs> He's going to look crazy. <laughs> but at the overall numbers, if you looked at the, the overall 
statistics, they're not going to be that impressive. So the argument here is, can you make a, a case for those RBI being worth an MVP vote? So let's say you had somebody that is like a league average hitter and maybe is worth two or three wins, and we're only really talking about hitting here, but they have 250 RBI on their total, where would you put that guy in the MVP discussion? If you had just everybody else kind of doing what they do, would you give that guy an MVP vote? Would it be a down-ballot vote? Would you give him the MVP? Because if you're, just, if you're just looking at total value and not looking at context, you would say he's not as good as everybody else. But if you looked at like his win probability added, that guy is fucking through the roof. <laughs> how, many, how many wins did that guy help you create? A ton. So how, where, do you, where do you put that guy? And in this case, do RBI matter? So, you know, I, I, the premise of this article, too, was about the discussion itself. And do we need counting stats like that to be able to talk about baseball and to, to make it fun topics? Because it's, you know, I, I think it's, it's part of what makes fantasy football so appealing and which, which in turn makes football so popular is it's really easy to keep tabs on statistics and the, the ones that matter. And it's, okay, my receiver has nine catches for 140 yards. I don't need to know, like, how many yards after the catch he's averaging <laughs> or how many, you know, cuts he's making per route he runs. Like, Where's that fantasy league? I need to sign up. <laughs> um, but, like, in baseball, I think, you know, it's... And it still is the case in fantasy baseball. It's like... Like, I have people, uh, I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast, like, everyone wants to know who's going to get the saves in Cleveland this year. I'm like, well, if they play their cards right, it shouldn't freaking matter, because it should be like Nick Wickren or some someone like that. Um, but it, it's it's weird, like, you know, when I, I remember being a kid, and you'd see the, every time a batter comes up to hit, you'd see batting average home runs and RBIs, Right. And those are three really simple stats. And it was just always easy to compare people based on that. And then as time goes on, we get smarter. We understand what statistics actually matter more and contribute to wins. But this is an interesting case because it is so, it's so unrealistic. Um, and, and isn't what, if we're talking about MVP discussion, like the actual vote, isn't what happened in the game important we can talk about projectable things like whether or not a guy do i think that guy's going to do that again next year probably not he's probably not going to drive in 250 mm -hmm. runs so i'm probably not going to give that guy a huge deal but when we're just talking about what happened on the field and assessing that and giving a guy an award based off of that don't you deserve credit for what actually took place it's kind of like the era fip discussion we could talk about what should have happened for a pitcher mm -hmm. But isn't what did happen also important? Absolutely. And that's... I'm not saying that we should award MVPs based on home runs and RBIs and batting average, but I am... I, I do think it... It's a little difficult because, like, we... You know, we use WRC+, Plus or you use WAR, or you use other metrics to determine how you arrange your ballot. But I think there are plenty of casual fans who have no idea what some of that stuff means. And... It would be a lot simpler if we could say, hey, you know, Albert Bell had 50 home runs and 50 doubles. He's your MVP. And fans are like, yeah, that makes sense to me. I understand that. Um, so there is a little bit of a disconnect. Because, like, in football and basketball, it's usually just, like, the best player on the best team. 
um, a lot of times. Um, so I think in baseball it's so complex. And, and it's not a bad, like, it, it, it should be. It's good that we're really vetting these candidates. Um, but it's just, I think there's a little bit of a disconnect there. But with this specific example, it's like, you know, RBIs, we've always argued, it depends more on your teammates getting on base in front of you than it does you producing. But we say that because there really is no rhyme or reason to suggest that, you know, a player would be an elite 99 out of 99, 99 out of 100 level player hitting with runners in scoring position and a zero hitting with the bases empty. Like, that's just not, it doesn't happen. That's not realistic. Um, so because of that, it's like, that's why we've devalued RBIs. But in this specific example where you're only hitting and you're always hitting with runners in scoring position, um, it changes the definition or the meaning of what RBIs really are. And so that's why I, like, I don't have a strong opinion about this. Like, yeah, I, I would, this guy would definitely get plenty of MVP or consideration from me. Um, I would have to stack it up versus the other candidates and just kind of understand better how much value they provided. Um, but it's just such an unrealistic scenario that it it really changes the meaning of RBIs. Because in, like, I mean, I think last season, you know, Jose Abreu had a ton of RBIs and I, I voted Jose Ramirez for MVP because I thought, you know, if Jose Ramirez came up to the plate with Tim Anderson and Eloy Jimenez and Yoan Mancada on base every single time he was at bat, pretty sure Jose Ramirez would have some gaudy counting numbers too. Um, but if you take Ramirez out of the Indians lineup and you take Abreu out of the White Sox lineup, I think the Indians are sorely missing their Jose's presence more. So I, I think it's just, it's such a wacky scenario here that Kevin Goldstein laid out that I just, it, it kind of changes how we even think about RBIs in the first place. Well, think about, think about it this way. There's already this sense that Baseball is strange to those that don't follow it super closely. So how would you explain to somebody that isn't an ex just a, a, a fanatical baseball fan that the guy that finished with 200 to 250 RBI didn't win MVP? How would you explain that to some? Because I think mm -hmm. you would get you because we've talked about this many times. How do you get baseball in front of more eyeballs and, and matter more to the four-letter network? You know the the people that are that are telling common uh, maybe not super invested fans. What is important? How do you how do you make that important? <laughs> Imagine the conversation that takes place on what is the cold pizza? Is that the ESPN two show? Yes. Wait, not yep. twenty years behind. In any case, imagine that conversation. Jim Rome is burning. <laughs> imagine that conversation taking place right now on uh, Sports Channel. Yeah. Well, I think you need a home run race. I think that's the answer. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't imagine somebody from that doesn't understand where total value comes from, them understanding how that took place. It would like uh, a quarterback in the NFL throwing, I don't, what is the record for for touchdowns? Let's just say somebody bested by like 20 touchdowns and then mm -hmm. saying that that guy's not the, the MVP. So it would say, what in the hell do you mean that guy's not the MVP? Well, you say, oh, well, those touchdowns came after a bunch of turnovers and he always started in the red zone of the other team so it wasn't really that valuable you you would still be they would sit there going what in the hell are you talking about he threw <laughs> 70 touchdowns so that guy's amazing uh it's but it's uh, i think it's kind of similar in baseball I, I i don't know that i would have an answer i, I would almost feel like i would want to give that guy the mvp because 
that season needs remembered. <laughs> but remember, he couldn't do it without his receivers that he threw it to. Yeah, that's exactly right. Without them catching the ball, he wouldn't have any touchdowns. Can't all be Tim Tebow creating them all himself. Um, yeah, I don't know that I have a great answer. I I would feel dirty saying that he's the he's the the top candidate for MVP, but I would feel just as gross not putting him in the top five, even if he's not creating the most value. Yeah, I, that's why I think you need to see the other candidates and you need to put their stats right. in a spreadsheet and really. But let's just it let's just know. say it's like what every year looks like with guys that are you know seven. No, that, my seven, point in saying wins. that was to cop out here. Come I on. know, but I'm not going to let you do that. Seven, eight wins. You know, you have three candidates that are kind of doing that, and then you have this guy at three and a half wins with his 225 RBI. <laughs> it's just. I I don't know how I would do that. I don't know. I mean, yeah, well, it will never happen, DJ, so you don't have to worry about it. Okay, yeah, thanks. But isn't the whole point here to have a fun discussion? And maybe this gets to the larger point that as much as I love data and statistics and projectable performances and how much that has helped teams build winners and know who is truly good, there's some degree of I wonder how much the game has also been hurt by that too. Because we can have a conversation. In years past, you could just you could sit down with with a buddy at a bar or at a, at a dinner table, and you could just both yell to your heart's content and you're blue in the face about who you think should be the MVP. And you walk away there not really knowing who is the most valuable. It's just a, an open-ended thing that you could both debate for for endless hours. But now. Because we're so much better at determining total value, I can just now look at the war leaderboard and I can say, nope, it's Trout. I see. I don't like that though. I don't vote like that. I know and you I, don't, but I, I mean, I know it, there are people who do. But isn't that like your? That. It, but still, isn't that your starting point? Yes. Um, and, and it should be. And I'm not saying that that statistics are bad, or that the overall direction of the game is bad. I'm just saying I think that has been a a casualty, uh, maybe some collateral damage to all the other stuff that we've gotten so much better at, at evaluating players. Well, what, you, you don't sit down with your friends at dinner and debate who the best scorer in basketball is based on true shooting percentage and <laughs> PER and VORP? Uh, no, but we, we damn well should. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, but it's also, I'm glad we've evolved to the point where we can have these debates about MVP or Cy Young or whatever, citing actual metrics and statistics. And and yes, everyone is entitled to their own criteria, and I, I think that's fine. It's so much better than it was 25 years ago when Mo Vaughn topped Albert Bell for MVP, even though Bell just crushed him in every category, but Bell was also a jerk. So let's give it to Mo Vaughn. I mean, we've <laughs> evolved a lot from that point. So I, I think wherever we are, and even if it's it's not the most, you know, um, digestible conversation at the dinner table. Um, it's better than it was in 1995. No, yeah, and I, I'm not saying that it's not. Uh, I'm not saying that as you look back through past years, you can't find so many different head-scratching decisions and MVP votes and Cy Young votes. And, and I'm glad that we can now give the award to the guy that is creating the most value. None of that is, is false. But it, it, it does make some of the the sports talk conversation that I think used to be more fun I think it's reduced some of that fun yeah so it's uh it's it's 
a bit of a double-edged sword for the sport. I think that's about fits with everything with baseball, though. <laughs> I know. Baseball needs Top Shot. Get a yeah, version yeah. of Top Shot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you were the first to tell me about it, and I think it makes a lot of sense. I, 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 I will tell you, my thinking has evolved to, you know, I go back to 2011. Was that the, the Miggy Trout? Mm-hmm. Then you know, I, at the time, I maybe. yeah, I th- I thought triple crown should matter, and I thought Miggy was the most valuable player. And then my thinking evolved, and I, you know, learned so much more about how value is created and how we measure it. And I got to a point where I was very robotic, and just oh, just pull up the war leaderboard, and that's who you should vote for. And now I feel like I think there's some validity to not just thinking about things like a robot to take some element. It doesn't have to be your entire voting, or it doesn't have to be all of what you assess a player on. But I think there's, I think there's some room still for the the human element and some emotion in in some of that voting. I don't know what percentage it is, but I feel so much better about the conversations you can have when it's not just, well, let me just consult Baseball Reference and then that'll settle the debate and then that's over. Yeah, I, th- and that's where I come back to. Everyone's welcome to have their own criteria. Now. It also makes for some people revealing some really stupid-looking ballots. Um, <laughs> but then, hey, that spurs the conversation uh, even more, so who cares? Uh, you're just going to be in the all-conversation-is-good conversation camp. Okay. Uh, for this sport, this league, yeah. <sighs> all right. Well, now that you have successfully evaded all my questions, I'll remind everybody that you can subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, Spotify, follow us on Twitter, at TJZoopy, at Zach Meisel, at SelbyIsGodCast, Instagram, at SelbyIsGodCast, and I have to give a shout-out to Chris P., who became a podcast supporter, pledged a small amount of money, every single month to help keep this podcast rolling. So thank you, Chris P., for doing that over at Anchor, anchor.fm slash Godcast if you would like to help support the pod. And a shout-out to five new five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts from Jay Needs Dortmunder, which I think uh, that's a little nudge to me that uh, I now owe this individual a beer who said we're the the jose ramirez of tribe pods maybe uh he thinks our headphone sets fall off every time we record um shout out to pat is not fat shout out to teddy Westside. shout out to joel and shout out to trav who says these guys make an unimpeachable case for the long-held theory that bill selby is indeed lord and savior and i wanted to say shout out to bill selby who recently celebrated his 50th birthday and you know, I keep, I might have even mentioned this on a previous podcast, but we would pay so many billions of dollars for the, <laughs> the top shot moment of Bill Selby hitting that walk off Grand Slam off uh, Mariano Rivera. Yeah, just uh, figuring out how much money's left in my bank account, and uh, I'll just shovel that all in that direction. We could Can just you own imagine it. that? We could just own it collectively as a podcast. Yeah, what if all of our, our listeners would contribute and we could. It would be ours to share. Yeah, it's ours. We we own it. And then would we, like, <laughs> present it to, to Bill? <laughs> like, here you are, sir. Here is your highlight. Even though you can watch it on YouTube or MLB.com, or, and you probably have VHS cassettes oh, yeah. with it, and you probably have it playing on a loop inside your home. But here, you now own this moment. <laughs> yes, normal people have, like, a fireplace going. Perhaps all the times during the year, especially in the winter, to keep you warm. You know, in the Selby household, it's just uh, Grand Slam against Mariano Rivera. 
That's what I would do, for sure. Till next time, be good, everybody. We'll see you. The Selvius Godcast, featuring Zach Meisel and TJ Zuppi, is presented by our supporters at Anchor. To help support the podcast, visit anchor.fm slash Godcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we sure hope you do, be sure to leave us a five-star review. And if you have suggestions, drop us a DM on Twitter at Godcast. Thanks for listening.